Hey folks, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, a space where I sit down with the world's most interesting people in direct-to-consumer. I'm your host, Tim. So this is Series 4 of 2021, and I have the pleasure of meeting and chatting with a select group of impact brands to unpack their story, growth, and how they're adapting to the evolving digital and consumer landscape. On this episode, I'm joined by Kelsey Morera. Kelsey is the founder and fearless leader of Dope, a mission-driven, edible, and packable cookie dough business that ships their product into thousands of households every week. Since starting the company in 2017, and after a decade-long tech career, she's appeared on ABC's Shark Tank and was named Forbes' 30 under 30. As you'll learn more today, she's using Dope's platform for good, working to reduce social stigmas around addiction recovery and mental health. Before we get into it, this podcast is brought to you by Yotpo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform that's designed to increase customer engagement, promote community advocacy, and improve retention. Yotpo's single platform integrates advanced solutions for loyalty and referrals, SMS marketing, reviews, and more so brands can strengthen relationships and customers and drive meaningful metrics like AOV, LTV, CVR and more. That's why 35,000 plus direct consumer brands use Yotpo. Start building profitable relationships with your customers today by signing up for free at yotpo.com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Kelsey, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you? I am great. Thank you for having me. I'm calling in from Hideaway, Texas, little town out in East Texas. And I believe you have, as we were just discussing, uh, some rather interesting roommates or roommates. <laughs> yes, unexpected. We were moving to Texas and our house fell out of contract on the way here. This was uh, at very end of September. And we luckily were able to stay with my grandpa. We were moving here to be closer to him, but we didn't think we'd be quite this close. So we've been roommates for the past month and a half and just closed on our new home. So we're really excited to um, oh, be in our own space. <laughs> I could use a two minute drive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's been good. Congratulations. And, and um, how, how old's your grandfather? He's going to be 92 this December, but this oh, guy is just kicking. He's amazing. He's literally mowing the lawn right now. He is so active, plays golf a couple times a week and just a joy to be around. So I wanted wow. to soak up as much time as we could. We moved here um, from Las Vegas and it's just great to be close to family. Oh, that's cool. Well, as you said, if, if he happens to enter into the, the podcast uh, in the background, <laughs> we'll get him on and, and maybe he can tell us some tales. Um, <laughs> exactly. I, I usually like to start, uh, as you can imagine, by doing a bit of a rewind. Um, and I'm curious as to why you got sober and how that led to the creation of Dope. Yeah. Um, so the journey to getting sober, like for so many people, it's uh, it's a lot of little a little ticks along the way, you know, the, these nudges that say like, man, I really should probably make a change. And um, they all add up to this final sort of moment that, that you decide it's really going to happen. I really need to, to give up drinking. And for me, you know, it all spurred with issues around anxiety and perfectionism and, and all this kind of pressure I was putting on myself really from pretty young age as a kid. And when I found alcohol, I was 14 the first time I drank and I drank till I blacked out the very first time. And it was like this quiet, this piece that my brain didn't have to be on. And I ended up abusing alcohol through the years, though really excelling and being an overachiever in school, getting an opportunity to work at Intel at just 16 years old, um, that would turn into a 10 year career. But the alcohol and my inability to control it when I started to drink, it was always going to be to excess. I had a really hard time with this idea of like how to just have one. Yeah, <laughs> and I, yeah. I would try all these different things to make alcohol keep working in my life, even though I'd have these, you know, episodes of some 
really horrific night doing stuff I was embarrassed of, ashamed of, hurting people that were close to me and um, hurting myself in some cases, you know, um, due to alcohol. And it was just, I was so determined. I think society puts like a lot of pressure on um, on people with, with issues with alcohol because it's just presented everywhere and it's a part of every event. And like, how would you ever go on a date without alcohol? And so I just couldn't come to terms with the idea that I really needed to quit drinking. And um, finally, enough was enough. In September of 2015, I was on a business trip and those were always the worst times for me because it was like, nobody there knows you have a problem. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of like a, a free for all. Um, for me, I was always always some of my worst cases when I was traveling. And this time on a trip in Barcelona came to at 3.30 in the morning and in a stranger's apartment and had no idea, you know, where my belongings were, um, putting the, you know, pieces together of what had happened. And I just had this like clear as day moment that I never wanted to feel like this again. I was so tired of apologizing for stuff I barely remember doing. And um, I'd be doing it again that morning. And after making some of those early apologies, I called my my Nana um, five years uh, this month since she passed away, but she was like a huge uh, proponent of me getting sober. She was mm-hmm. 21 years sober when she passed and mm-hmm. um, was just sort of like waiting for this call for a long time for me to be like, I'm ready. I'm actually ready to stop drinking. And she was like, you need to find an English speaking AA meeting then. <laughs> like, I don't care that you're in Barcelona, go find an AA meeting and let's make it happen. And um, yeah, I've been just over six years sober and it was the best decision ever and absolutely led to the creation of dope as you mentioned and this is a pretty personal experience that kind of led to the the spot that you're in now and i'm wondering like how have you taken that on like starting the business and confronting like a personal vulnerability is that something that you took to naturally is that something that you've had to work on to be able to share it you mean yeah 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 i think um, the confidence in it builds as, as you do it, right. As you, the first time you ever say it, it's like, you're freaking choking on your words. Cause you just, there's this looming feeling and society again, has kind of done this, that like, if you say, or admit you had a problem with alcohol, it somehow means, you know, you're less than, or you're broken or something was wrong with you. Whereas as I shared it and I saw the positivity that came from sharing it of someone else who was able to share something challenging that they were going through or that uh, their child was going through and to have now me raise my hand as like someone they could ask questions of how to approach their child about, you know, their drinking behavior, you know, teenage kid or something and um, or someone who is many, many years sober and hadn't shared saying that they were inspired to go and share because I had shared. And so you just have these like, like warming reminders that what you're doing can help other people. And so it gets less and less scary as time goes on. And I was able to sort of reframe it in my head from something's wrong with me to like, this is amazing. This is like the coolest thing about me that I saw something wasn't working in my life. And I made a change. That's something, you know, everybody should be really excited. It's like a a weight loss journey or something. If I had lost 200 pounds, like I'd be so excited to share that. And I feel like that, or if you decided to quit smoking, you know, it, it's a great thing that you decided to quit smoking and the same thing for, for alcohol. Like I'm so excited to share with others that I, I made this positive change in my life. And do you, I suppose, why do you think it's important that we reduce the stigma of addiction recovery? And I, from your perspective and obviously going through that journey and then starting dope, which we'll get onto in a sec, what that actually is, <laughs> but like, <laughs> where are we, where are we at as a society in that journey? And I'd love to see it from your perspective, having gone kind of through this process. Yeah. I mean, I'd love, 
I definitely will say we've made lots of strides in this area. It's, um, it is so far along, even from where it was when I first got sober, I'll even talk, um, just in the non-alcoholic beverage space is a great example. Like mm-hmm. five years ago, mm-hmm. Oh, duels Amber was like the only thing. And I would constantly get the questions from a bartender or wherever we were being like, what, you don't want to drink like non-alcoholic beer. No, we don't have any of that. You know, those kind of like remarks that I'd have to face in a restaurant. So even the normalizing of it in a social situation where frankly, that's some of the biggest pressures for somebody who's in early recovery to be in a social group and have to say, you know, do you have blank and ask for some um, NA option? And now that's like plentiful. I mean, there are literally dozens and dozens of NA spirits companies, NA wine companies, NA beer. Um, You can pretty much get anything you used to have in a non-alcoholic form. They even have NA champagne now. So hilariously, when I first got sober, I was like, how will I get married? This is what I told my mom. I'm like, how will I get married? I can't have a champagne toast. And like, that was my critical like lost moment, you know, that I thought, what will I do? How can I get married without champagne? And now they even have NA champagne. So I just think that part of the conversation being more normalized for fully sober people, or just honestly, there's a big movement around people who just want to socialize without alcohol as well. And that every time they go out, they don't need to have a drink um, to chat with friends. And so that has made it a lot easier for people to more comfortably say in a social group that they're going to be getting a different option instead of um, this being so stark of like, oh my God, you're not drinking what's wrong with you. So I think there's a little bit more awareness. Um, I think there's lots of work to be done in the workplace. This is a an area where I think employers sometimes think alcohol is this great like mm. bonding tool yeah. and like, hey, let's all get together for happy hour on Fridays. And you know, there's just it's um it is ignorance, you know, just not to think about that there may be people, you know, one in twelve Americans are in active recovery. Uh, there are likely people in your company who are in recovery, and by not considering them, you do put um, you know can put them in a bit of a tough situation. I think. Dropbox used to have like whiskey Fridays was like what their all hands meeting was called. And it was unlimited spirits. And it's like, what a hard thing for somebody who's trying to get sober. If like the only way you can build camaraderie and get the latest company updates is, you know, with some whiskey in your hand. Um, So yeah, just like more consciousness around how we're treating it in the workplace is a a huge thing. Um, And that's something dope is, is really focused on as well. Yeah, that's so interesting. So as a non-drinker as well, I've experienced very similar things. And like, it's, uh, I suppose, not just, you know, from our perspective, but if you've got religious beliefs that are not, you know, mm-hmm. in line with alcohol as well, there, there's that element to it. But I'm I'm wondering then, with your journey, what what motivated you to start Dope and not a non-alcoholic beverage company? Uh, hilariously, that was the other business idea I had. Because I'm my thinking, yeah, <laughs> right. Like non, I'm thinking yeah. non-alcoholic champagne for weddings, right? Surely that may have entered into the yeah. you know, into the uh, options at some point. I had a whole business plan for a canned mocktail company in 2017, right before, and I'm like, I've got this cookie dough idea, I've got this mocktail idea, and I went cookie dough, which. It is pretty cool to look back that both cookie dough wound up becoming a massive trend through 2018, 2019, really rising to prominence. And now even like Pillsbury and Nestle have edible cookie dough lines out. And then my other idea is also this booming business line, um, you know, mocktail. So I had two good options and I'm, I don't have any regrets, but I certainly feel like God, if I could have cloned myself and started an NA mocktail company at the time, that would have been incredibly lucrative as well. But cookie dough has been a blast. And, you know, it's, um, it has given me so much in terms of like being able to weave in 
a mission and story with a product in an unconventional way. Like it's cookie dough. You don't immediately think mental health and addiction, but um, it is this moment of like nostalgia and sweet memories and kind of taking this moment for yourself, a little self-care to have some dessert and to just let it be dessert. You know, we're not trying to be a health company and um, it's made with ingredients you can actually pronounce, but it's not like gluten-free and keto and all the stuff, you know, it's like, it's good. It's got butter. Yeah. 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 um, But like unashamed, you know? (laughs) So I suppose getting back to the, to the dope journey, can you just give me a a little bit of insight into like the first few months and then kind of what's happened till today and like, what does it look like in, you know, the back end of 2021? Yeah. So dope is edible and bakeable cookie dough. So you've been hearing us say dope, but it's D-O-U-G-H-P. So dough with a P on the end. And um, I got this idea after probably eight months sober and I had just been living in the kitchen in early sobriety. It was a new way for me to quiet my mind, you know, the focus and meditation sort Mm -hmm. of that it was to all this precision and baking, all the measurements and, and everything like that. So I was baking cookies and cakes and cupcakes and the whole thing. Um, bringing stuff into the office. I was still working at Intel, but I'd been moved down to San Francisco for a new job inside the company and tried my hand at being a vegan. And so my baking became sort of like quasi vegan. (laughs) As I've mentioned, dope is not vegan. It's butter filled, but I came across this recipe because I was using butter, but no eggs. I had a great egg substitute from the attempt at being vegan. And so I was using that in this, um, just didn't have any eggs on hand and realized like, oh my God, this cookie dough is safe to eat raw and I can bake it. So I was saving like a bowl of cookie dough in the fridge to snack on through the week and um, baking a few cookies as I wanted throughout the week. And I just had that like, oh man, this could be a thing. (laughs) Told a friend, you know, we're like brainstorming names because I'm like, I think I could do this. And um, I said, I want to make a really dope dessert company. (laughs) She was like, oh my God, dope could have dough in it. So the name was born. I uh, found a commercial kitchen in Oakland who was willing to let me come in, even though they had this massive waiting list. I made my first hundred pounds of cookie dough. I had a little food cart built at a wood shop in San Francisco for 500 bucks. And I went out to Dolores park, um, in San Francisco, very popular park there and set up and we sold out in three hours. And I was like, holy cow. <laughs> like that is crazy. Um, a great fun way to like, what do people think? Like, are they even interested in eating this? Is this a, it's a totally new concept, right? I mean, at that time, nobody was really serving cookie dough by the scoop. It was like ice cream shops or things. So, um, just had a blast getting like so much in-person customer feedback through the first few months. I had written a food park in San Francisco and uh, told them about my concept and they wrote back in two hours and were like, we love cookie dough. What a fun idea. And when can you start? And I'm like, Google's, you know, how to operate at food park. <laughs> Cause I had no idea how to run a business, um, you know, and, and how to do anything in food. So all of it was uh, just a real grind in the beginning, but that first day selling at Dolores park was the first day of my sabbatical from Intel. So I was taking 10 weeks, um, yeah. had originally planned to travel the world, had a whole like backpacking trip across Southeast Asia planned. And then instead, when the idea hit in February of 17, I was like, I'm not going to Asia. I'm going to do this, do this business. And the 10 weeks went really well. I ended up, um, you know, quitting my job full on at the, the end of that and pursuing it. And now, so if I fast forward you a little bit, spent the first three and a half years of the business really focused on brand awareness through our own brick and mortar storefronts. And so I was doing that sort of scoop model, like I mentioned, and mm-hmm. wound up getting a store on Pier 39 in San Francisco and then on the Las Vegas Strip. 
And it was amazing. It was fun to have this like in-person kind of feeling of like, what's it like to experience dope in real life? We were doing a bit of catering and some e-commerce and all of this, but late 2019, my husband joined as co-CEO of the business and um, helped really gear us into a, a more focus. We kept saying 2020 is the year of focus. And in many ways it was, but it was also like year of the pivot for so many. And so, you know, having gotten a head start on e-commerce in November of 19, we were doing around 30 boxes a month at that time. We did 3000 a week in April of 2020. So wow. our business, like, yeah, it was a real, real 180 for us from brick and mortar being our entire life to, you know, by March, it was shut down um, 100%, you know, and we were only e-commerce through that actual quarantine period. Um, the Las Vegas strip shutting down, by the way, was like the last time it had happened was for the JFK assassination. Um, was the last time it went dark on the Vegas Strip. And so it was just a really weird time to have, um, you know, only a year before that had just opened the store. We were about to hit our one year birthday of the store when the quarantine shutdown happened. So um, we were using the shop uh, round the clock for packing. And then we got the call that like, you have 12 hours to get all your stuff out. We're going to be shutting them all. And so we wouldn't have access to where we were packing our e-commerce orders. And within 24 hours, found another um, commercial kitchen in. Las Vegas that was going to let us move in and use their space. And it was just pure madness through that year. Um, wound up doing 2.7 million in 2020 and shutting down that storefront in October of 2020, deciding to go full on with e-commerce and start to work our engines towards launching launching in retail, which um, I'm so excited to say just happened in September, a couple months back. So we launched in a grocery store chain in Utah, 19 stores there. And we're launching at Walmart next month um, with our new product line, our dope drops. So fun stuff, like so much to come next year. It's really such an inflection point for the business. We'll do uh, $4 million this year in revenue and um, really excited to see what happens next year with our launch into retail. Wow. I mean, there's so much to unpack there. The JFK assassination closing down of Las Vegas. That's in, that's insane. So just so I get that right. So that, that, that well, Las Vegas obviously open all the time, but that particular part had never been shut down ever other than the, the JFK assassination and then COVID. Yeah. Like the, for the entire strip, you know, they, they are always on, they're always open. Like casinos never shut down yeah, it's yeah, 24 yeah. seven, that that city is lit up. And so the strip in particular, like hasn't gone dark and since the JFK assassination for more than a day, I think um, the nine 11 attack, I believe it shut down for one, one day. Um, but yeah, it was just such a surreal experience. I was like riding, I went on a bike ride and like rode down the middle of the strip, you know, no cars, no people in sight. It was just eerie. It was such a weird time. That's so funny. So it it feels like the, 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 the business accelerated, even though you had to do some shutting down of things and pivoting in that kind of Mm -hmm. 2020 to this period, like in the last sort of 18 months or, or just under. Is that how it kind of it, it, it worked out? Yeah, I mean, it was like 2020 was we more than doubled our sales from 2019, even though we were running an entirely different business by the second half of 2020. You know, it was it wasn't the same dope that it was in 19, but it was, um, you know, we were nimble enough to just focus on what was working and double down there and not let anything else drag us down. So just kept at it and, you know, really stayed true to who we are and to the mission and our customer base and everything. So um, yeah, it's been a really cool journey. So in parallel to all of this, <laughs> which I don't really understand how you find the time, but anyway, that you you have your <laughs> own podcast, the, the Sober, Sober Preneur. 
podcast. Yes. <laughs> uh, which I've taken in a few episodes and I must admit it's one of the more refreshing audio experiences I've had. I particularly like the way you kind of start each conversation with the high and the low with guests. I really like that. Yeah, I was going to pinch it, but you're... I thought, no, no, this is not the right format for that. I want to, um, <laughs> I want I want to stay authentic, but like, how does that kind of feed into dope? Um, and I suppose the, the kind of the mission, the vision, and like, is that something that you just, particularly enjoy doing and it would be something you do regardless of whether you were on the the dope um train or 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 how is that kind of fed into what you're doing with dope yeah i mean i think it's a beautiful thing that i have pretty much decided that my life's mission is to try and break the stigma around mental health and addiction recovery help people feel less alone in what they're going through and the fact that i've been able to make that dope's reason for being is such a nice channel for me, but certainly I do feel personally compelled that dope or otherwise, like I'd be finding a way to work on these things. So it's nice that it all ties together so well, um, with the business and my personal passions, you know, it's like the find your why, um, suggestion and guidance is so, so critical because the days are going to be so long and so challenging. The highs are going to be high, but the lows are going to hurt so bad. And Mm. if you don't have a really internally motivating reason for going through this pain. Um, you know, it's just not gonna, it's not gonna make it. So, um, I am, yeah, very personally compelled by this. So the soberpreneur podcast idea was just, I am a, I'm a big connector. I love to like meet people and I never say no to an introduction. Great advice for anybody out there trying to start a business. I, I accept any intro, no matter if I don't think it's gonna, if it makes much sense or whatnot, you just never know who who knows who or um, who could help you out. So um, yeah, I just found I was having all these amazing conversations, meeting really interesting people who were all working on these issues. I started to form a little bit of like a coalition working on um, the recovery friendly workplace concept. And I was originally working with some groups on, you know, how can we help change things in um, the employer landscape to support employees on mental health and addiction. And I'm just like, man, some of these conversations just need to be brought up and I'm meeting all these other badass founders and um, just people who have really gone through it and they have something to share. And so mm-hmm. soberpreneur, I am the sober entrepreneur, but it really is elevating conversations for anybody who's overcome some struggle with mental health or addiction recovery or otherwise, and has gone on to do something amazing. And that's what it's all about, you know, at dope with dope for hope. When I started the, um, you know, real reason for being, as I mentioned at the company, I wanted to help people have stories elevated that made them say they're not the only one, you know, that they know it's all right to, to have some issues and that they can reach out and talk about it and how I can help other employers bring these conversations up in the workplace, support their employees more wholly, um, really let employees bring their full selves to work and not have to have a second face. And um, yeah, all of it just ties really well together with the business. So we have three pillars of dope for hope, one portions for our community. We do mental health Mondays on our social media mm-hmm. Um we do it through our email as well. So a little dose of hope for customers and like uh, often just sharing resources around uh, recovery or mental health. And then inside the company is the other one. So I talked a little bit about this where designated recovery friendly workplace, mental health policies for our staff. Um, the high and low that you mentioned from Soberpreneur is actually something we do inside the company as well. So we have a mental health Monday Slack channel and everybody shares one high and one low from the last week. Um, it's really important when you're trying to cultivate some of this inside the company that you know, it starts from the top being vulnerable and being able to actually share when it is not going so hot. And when you're really yep. not doing so yep. well, or you're not, you know, keeping up on your self-care or um, you're just feeling a little overwhelmed with some anxiety. And 
being able to be that example of like, here's how I'm feeling. And, you know, I'm going to, you know, take an hour and go for a walk uh, today to try and clear my head or showing that there are like proactive steps to try and, um, you know, better my own mental health the best I can. And um, yeah, just show them the like ups and downs and all the real. I'm just a really transparent um, person and leader and, and want my team to feel comfortable talking about whatever's happening with them. Um, the last component of Dope for Hope is uh, the donation side. So I just, from the beginning was like, there's a lot of people already doing amazing stuff out there. I don't need to recreate the wheel. And we found the She Recovers Foundation. It's for women who are in or seeking recovery. And we donate 1% of all of our sales to them. Um, minimum guaranteed donation of $40,000 this year. So just, yeah, really grateful for the work that they're doing um, to support women. And uh, it's just good stuff. <laughs> it's just fun. I love it. So much good stuff there to unpack. I love the the high and low concept because I feel that it, you know, when you ask someone how they're going, you don't give them mm-hmm. the option really to say, I'm not going. Well, sorry, you do give them the option, but I think we're very reluctant to say we're not doing very well. Whereas I feel when you say, hey, tell me a high and a low you've got, you, you're allowing that conversation to happen like very authentically. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's really, really nice giving someone the space to be able to be vulnerable because I feel that maybe even also with the whole Zoom and pandemic thing, I feel that the how you're going, it kind of, it doesn't have the efficacy it once did maybe, you know, it's kind of like, we're, really, we just want to get to the conversation. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, yeah. I really love that high and low, you know, you, you're, you're and you're also forcing the person to have a think and reflect on on how mm-hmm. they're going, you know. And I mean, maybe there is no low, but there probably is. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's no high. But you know, like I think it's yeah. a really lovely way of 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 um, disarming somebody. I, I really love that. Yeah, and it's so true. Just the making them pause to think. I, it is an incredible practice to get into meditation, to get into even yoga, and like have those things as a part of your life, but not everybody has that. Not everybody even stops for a moment to check in and like see how they're actually feeling. We're just in this reactive world where we're go, 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 go. And to be able to give that to somebody to say, Hey, you know, I really want to know how things are. Tell me like one high and one low. Um, It's just, I don't know, it can be a gift. And then maybe that person thinks about how nice it was to share. Um, We actually have a good example of this through our SMS program. So we have a text message program. I think there's maybe 15,000 numbers in there um, for customers of ours. And we sent out a text a couple weeks back that said, um, you know, take a moment with us to take a deep breath. And like, we really want to know how things are going for you. Hit me up with one high and one low from the last week. So we sent this out to our customers and we got more than 90 text messages back in like the lengthy versions of you know, really sharing what's going on. And it was just, you know, like you said, telling people to just take a moment and pause. A lot of them hadn't done that. One person even wrote, uh, I can't believe I'm saying this to a cookie dough company, but honestly, <laughs> it just, <laughs> she said, honestly, it just felt really good to write it out. So thank you for asking. And um, I'm like, man, what a gift, like what a little thing, but th- and this person, you know, it's, um, someone hospitalized with COVID this week and all the, you know, heavy stuff yeah, happening yeah, to people yeah. all over. And it's like, they just needed someone to say, how are you genuine, you know, and to really have to have to dig into it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It goes a long way. So for anybody listening next time, you're going to ask someone, how yeah, are you? Yeah. Highly recommend. One high, yeah. one low. I, I, I think that's so rad, man. Like the whole, like, you know, that person 
that they were they were probably crying out for this and for it to come mm-hmm. from, from 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 you guys like the, the the cookie dough company i just think is so lovely it's just such a cool story you you, you touched on the word before and it's certainly something that um upon researching the for the podcast came up kept on popping up to me and that is realness that that's something that I, I kept on getting from everything that I was reading about you and so it's like you the brand and and the things that you're involved in but like I'm wondering I'm curious how do you maintain that kind of authenticity and are there challenges that come with that hmm. this is a funny question like some people ask how how do you how are you authentic you know and it's like I'm authentic by being authentic. Like I, it is such a hard, um, it's such a hard thing to answer because I really am just me. And I guess it comes from a place of self-love and respect for myself and that I, um, yeah, I just am not, I guess I'm not afraid of what other people will think. Um, and so I just get to be myself and it just keeps working out. Um, that's been a, that's been a gift. I don't know. Maybe I thank my parents for that. I, I don't, I have such great advice on how to tell other people how to be authentic. I just think you just gotta do it and be real. And I don't have a different face for different people. I don't have a different, um, you know, even tone of voice. I don't, I don't talk differently to investors yeah. as I do to, yeah. uh, to my employees, um, to my grandpa that we mentioned to my dad, to my husband, like, um, yeah, it's pretty much the same Kelsey you're going to get all the time. I am not very good at masking that or being different and it it works out. Um I think to the, to the betterment. I think it's the it's worked for me. <laughs> That's for sure. But may, maybe it's a hard concept for people that don't fall into that camp to understand because it's in some ways something you I don't know, can you acquire authenticity? Or is it something that that you are, you know, are you, are people just genuinely authentic? Yeah. My sense is that people are genuinely, you know, when you meet someone, right. I feel like you're, you're one of these people that you're like, oh, they're genuinely authentic. There's no, it's like they can't not be. And I don't know as, an, as yeah. can someone acquire that. I don't know. I guess you have to look at the um, opposite statement, right? Like what would make someone not be authentic? And like I started to touch on self-confidence, like I do think it comes from that place originally. So this idea of could you become authentic is like, could you learn to love yourself for who yeah. you are, for how yeah. you are, for all those things about you and stop trying to cover it up because being inauthentic is putting on a cover or pretending to be something else. And what if you just became incredibly comfortable and excited about who you are now instead of trying to change? And perhaps that would drive more authenticity. I guess that's best way I could look at it yeah and I think you're right that sort of like nature nurture thing probably plays into it a lot as well and mm-hmm. our parents are more than likely <laughs> in some way I imagine you know uh there's impact. a whole lot to unpack yeah there. yeah there's a whole lot to unpack that exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 that's if another you're, podcast if yeah. you're struggling with any of that a great book um the body keeps score was like really eye-opening for me it's about how our childhoods just deeply impact who we are and how we present ourselves as adults. So um, yeah, for anyone who is feeling like there's just some junk like following you around, that book was like a real work through it kind of thing. The body keeps score. It's a great one. Very good recommendation. Um, So I'm curious as a, as a clearly very purposeful brand an impact led brand, like, is that more or less challenging than if you didn't have a strong 
purpose? You know, there's a couple of folds on this. So one is that personal side, right? I said the motivation that you need to have to go through how challenging this is going to be. For me, I wouldn't be able to do it if it was just dollars and cents. You know, if we were just looking at how profitable can I get and there's no impact to it, it just it's just not enough to drive me through the challenges and and trials and tribulations that will come from running a business. Um, the other side is like for customers and truly for driving business and finding customers who really care about you. If you're selling something that's a commodity, which cookie dough is 1000%, you can make it at home. You can mm-hmm. buy it for much cheaper in the grocery store. Um, we have great unique flavors. I think we have the best taste ever, but there's gotta be something more that drives someone to want to purchase from us and want to like join the family, right? I had to make it like a, how do we make people want to join this community to support this cause is a way different decision maker than just like, should I buy this cookie dough or should I buy the $2 cookie dough at the store or whatever, (laughs) whatever Nestle is down to. Um, You know, I think it's, uh, it's got to give someone something more to hold on to. If you really want to make a brand, you can make a very profitable business, just creating and selling a product and finding your margins in there and trying to go for it. But um, yeah, I think if you want to really make a brand that becomes, you know, my goal of becoming a household name and and to really get customers who care about you, it's got to be more than just the product. Yeah. And do you find therefore, which I think I know the answer, but does that make it easier to engage and connect with your customers? Well, there's a hell of a lot more to talk about. That's for sure. You know, it's like you can hit people all day with like, this is the best cookie dough ever. Here are the awesome ingredients in it. You can eat it raw. You can bake it. We have free shipping, happiness guarantee, you know, like all these like sales kind of uh, unique selling propositions, but that kind of gets old and can get tired out. And then I think a great example is the dedicated, you know, text message we did just to like, how are you? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, at Dope, we believe in uh, raw conversations, raw cookie dough and real conversations, like give us one high and one low, whatever. Like that is like, those are deeper connections with a customer where then they're not just always getting blasted with, and it's Black Friday this week. So not always getting blasted with just sales. You're like warming that this community with like, you know, more reasons, like thinking about what value am I adding to them? Um, what value are we adding to the world? How can we show the customers what impact their purchases are making? And there's just a lot, um, it's actually like more to communicate than if I only had the product to talk about. Uh, you touched on it a couple of times there, but I, I'd love to understand a little bit more and that the text message to your community is obviously a big part of that. But like, how do you think about community building and, and as part of your playbook? And have you got any in- interesting insights by the, the text message strategy or like uh, initiative? Yeah, so we have a few different portions set up to this. So one is for people who come to us and say like, Hey, I just love dope. I love the mission. Like, how can I help spread this? Um, big or small following, we let them into our, um, affiliate network. So it's like a, it's, we use reversion, um, for the tool, but basically a commission structure to be able to get 10% of sales. They'll, they'll be paid out and, um, you know how that whole deal works. So they get to join into this little community and, Um, We add them in with our subscriber base. So we have a secret cookie dough club. It's two pints a month and then like a little surprise gift. We don't tell you what it is, but we rotate that every month with like some extra thing in the box. A little bit of high touch, like handwritten note on the box saying like, have a dope day, Sarah, or whatever it is. Um, And so we also add those groups together in an email list to get a personal like inside scoop email from me every month. And I literally write it myself still. Um, There's no copywriting here. It's just like, 
truly like a behind the scenes of like, what's up with dope? What are we doing next? What's going on? And um, kind of giving them more of those, like, yeah, just behind the scenes peak where they feel part of something. And that's the fun of being, you know, a small business for people to feel like they get to be involved. I love leaning on customers for, you know, what do you guys think of our new product ideas? Like here's some product lines we're thinking of going down. So um, surveying our customers and keeping them in the loop. Like we released the dope drops uh, in the spring as a quick test, sold out in 28 minutes. So that was awesome. But then we sent a survey to them and got so much awesome feedback. It's like, if you ask your customers, they want to tell you, you know, and we got tons of feedback on how did they feel about how many drops were in the pouch and what would they pay for this at grocery and, you know, just lots of information. And then now we were able to take all that in and we've got like retail ready packaging and all of it relaunching on December 8th. And um, it's just kind of this fun loop for them to be a part of, of like, oh yeah, we were a part of like the beta yeah. test kind of thing. And then now it's like, well, it looks awesome. Like their input helped make it what it is today. So um, yeah, just any way you can kind of keep them in the fold. You've got like a group of people who are really excited about what you're doing and you just got to activate them. It's kind of the key. It's kind of the crux of like challenger DTC brands, right? Like I, I really, really, re it resonates with me. The analogy you made there with Nestle or whoever, you know, like a big, huge mm -hmm. conglomerate type that you just, you just can never have that relationship with them. Even whatever they would do to try and create that, you could never create that sense of what you're talking about. They just, you know, they're too big. They're too far gone. Totally. Yeah. And they're not nimble enough even to do like the tests, like I just mentioned, you know, exactly when exactly. they want to put something in, uh, into retail, like they can do focus groups and little and, and very expensive, right? Very expensive, very slow tests. And for us, it was like a month from like, I think we should do this like cookie dough, like concept or whatever, these pouches. And then we're like, all right, great. We got bags literally from Amazon that like had this little like see-through film in it. And like, okay, this looks good. Just to, like, let's do it. You know, it was just like, let's just try it. And went with like, you know, kind of sticker label concept to put on there. And uh, I did the photography and like, there you go. Within like Boom. a month, we had this product on the site to see what customers thought. And so, you know, that kind of like, I just think small businesses as you're growing really need to take advantage of that yeah. um, ability to be nimble now. Cause like you said, it won't always be there. So um, I want to touch briefly on your shark tank experience. Can you give me a little insight? Yeah. Shark tank was so fun. And uh awesome news it is re-airing tomorrow night it's Black oh, Friday wow. week, <laughs> and we just found out it's like 6 p.m pacific on wednesday so um really exciting it re-airs uh for us maybe every like two months or so and it's a nice big boost of customers but very excited this week that we'll get them in um you know the week we're having this great sale going on so um yeah the whole experience was wild I don't know anybody in show business so I love being able to share that like I did not get called in from a casting producer or anything like that um you know I got working class family <laughs> like we we don't know anybody there so I literally went to a casting call in San Francisco and sat on a curb for three hours waiting for the casting call to open up and um, it's like 6am in the morning, freezing. Wow. So what's that? Is that SF. like you go in and like, this is before obviously the, the show that you got to, do, do you go in yeah. and kind of do like a little pitch to them first? Or is that kind of how it works? I'm yep. totally, I've got no idea how any of this works. So I'm so yeah, intrigued. So a casting call is basically like, it was actually one of my employees that saw it and was like, oh, Shark Tank's coming to town. Like they're doing a casting call. You know, American uh, Idol, if you ever watch yes, the of course. shows. That, yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, so that's sort of the thing. crazy yeah. lines, like yeah, waiting yeah, outside. Yeah. And then, yeah. Then you go in, like fill out some paperwork and then you get your 
get your shot. So I had my cookie dough samples. I had a little 90 second pitch that I had memorized. And I spent the time in line helping the gentleman next to me who didn't know he was supposed to prepare a pitch. And I was like, oh. okay, man, we got to do this. Like, <laughs> you need to have something <laughs> um, like had a motorized boat concept or something. <laughs> yeah, a little oh, race no. boat. Um, but anyway, so yeah, just, you know, have your pitch, have your product. Yeah. And then went in and I had 90 seconds. And then uh, after the 90 seconds passed, they were still asking me questions. And like, he called over the executive producer to come and start eating some of the dough, casting producer. Um, she starts eating some of the dough saying like how delicious it is. And, oh, and I, yes. I think it was like, I was feeling so good. Cause I'm like, Oh man, I think I've been in here for like three minutes now. And then it ended. And then you wait and then you get a call back and then you wait again and again and again. And it just, it was probably like six rounds of like submit an audio file saying something like this or submit a sample of your, um, of your pitch, uh, you know, have it recorded on video and submit it. Um, recorded some stuff on iPhone that I had to send over. And then like, yeah, finally it was like from auditioning the casting call in May, I was called down to film in September, just a two days after my um, three-year sobriety anniversary. And so it was a cool like universe kind of showing me, yeah. you keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, really crazy experience. And yeah, I mean, I was like, I was sure I was going to pee my pants. I was waiting for it to start. They count down from like a hundred and it's like, it is the longest countdown in the world when you're standing there by yourself waiting for those doors to open. Holy but moly. yeah, it's really intense. And then they open and you got to walk down, hit your mark. And then you have to stand there for like 30 seconds and make eye contact with the sharks. They want to film like all these shots while no one's talking just to get, get your view, like looking at the sharks. And uh, so then you they go yell. in and you don't say anything at first. You're <laughs> yes. just looking at them. Oh, that's mad. <laughs> it's so awkward. Oh my God. Um, that's wicked. Yeah. So that was crazy. And then they say begin and that's your cue to start and you do your pitch and it's one take. There's like no editing. There's no like, Oh, sorry, I messed that up. Can I start again? It is full on. Like you go and you don't stop filming until every shark is either out or you make a deal. Wow. So I was in there for an hour and 15 minutes um, filming, which was crazy. And it flew by for me. Um, in editing, you only see about eight minutes on air, which is so crazy. That is mad. So, so you go in, you do your stare off for 30 seconds so they get those camera angles. Then, then it's live. That's it. Then you pitch and you're in there for potentially not so much time or like you you're in there for a while yeah wow yeah yeah i think their longest one was like two and a half hours or something Blimey. crazy Blimey. yeah oh that's so crazy pretty wild <laughs> so so what ended up what what, what was kind of the, 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 the end result how does it kind of like yeah what was the outcome yeah so i went in there and i mean i had been flashcarding my numbers for the business i was like super sharp there was not one number or metric you could have asked me that i didn't know so i was really proud of myself with how i came across as far as like operational and business skills and barbara corcoran said i was the most sophisticated store owner she'd ever met wow. which was awesome that's amazing um robert hertzbeck said i was you know one of the top entrepreneurs who'd ever walked through the doors and all these awesome things about my skills as a business owner but then it came to the product and funny to the conversation we were having earlier about like, you know, does cookie dough need to be healthy? Like, could this just be one thing we have? The whole conversation went around like with the obesity epidemic, you know, we just can't support companies that say let's eat more and, um, you know, it's just not healthy or Robert saying like, you know, I just, I don't like to support products that I can't eat and I just don't eat cookie dough. He had asked me like, 
how many people would you say like cookie dough? And I was like, I would say a significant amount. Like I didn't even know how billions, to quantify that. Billions. <laughs> like, I didn't, think, didn't think we'd be debating if like cookie dough was a good concept. I'm like, everybody eats cookie dough. And you know, this was like a year and a half um, into business. And you know, I'm like, I've served a lot of people, a lot of cookie dough. I can tell you that they like it, but um, yeah, all the sharks ended up going out and I didn't make a deal in the tank, but I got another investor a couple of months later nice. and then as shark tank re-airs, you know, it's just a really nice extra pop from customers getting to see us. And I, I got to share my, you know, story of getting sober on the show. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. I had some like amazing messages that have come in from that. Even like the day after it aired, a woman wrote me and said that she had lost her son in February. It aired in May of, of 2019, um, lost my son in February for some reason, the only show I can bear to watch is Shark Tank. And seeing Kelsey <laughs> last night felt like a message from my son. And it's just like, oh, that's you know, that is just awesome. Like if I can give like some even small amount of warmth to this grieving mother, like makes it all worth it. So that's one of the emails I've kept over the years, you know, just to remind myself that it's worth it to keep sharing. Like we talked about, you know, you never know who needs to hear that you're working on this. And it's uh just solidified the mission more and more for me. Yeah, what a lovely story. I mean, the whole thing is just what an unbelievable experience and and, and lovely end. Um, I think we should start to round out the conversation. And I'd like to understand what you'd be doing if you weren't running dope. Yeah, you know, early sobriety, I had so much just like extra energy. And I was just I was bound to do something else. Like even before dope, I had all the baking I was doing. I started a little bakery to like do cakes and cupcakes, horrible economics of making a cake for four hours and selling it for like, you know, 60 bucks or something. Um, <laughs> but I was just, I do feel like I was just drawn to become an entrepreneur. Um, alcohol really had this like doling effect where I was just kind of okay, just riding along. And I obviously, I mean, Intel was a great career path, but I wasn't going for more and getting this extra energy and like superpower unlocked when I stopped drinking. I think I was like really bound to be an entrepreneur. So if I wasn't doing dope. Um, yeah, I'd probably, maybe I'd have that mocktail company or something else would have happened. Um, it's a, it is a blast doing what I'm doing now. And, um, you know, I'd love, I think about life after dope one day in way future, like being able to, you know, be a public speaker and help inspire mm -hmm. other people to, mm -hmm just make the most of their life to get one pass through this. And uh, that would be just a joy for me to be able to do that. You know, corporations or something, uh, having me come speak or different events. Um, that would be awesome. So final question. I think this is probably the most important. Um, what's your favorite dope flavor? <laughs> critical question. Very yes. Critical. Um, man. So I love, we've made so many flavors since I first started. I, I need to get this number exact, but it's gotta be over. 70 flavors at this point. Um, and so I love that each time we have something new, it's like, it's just as exciting for me to eat. I still eat ride or die or chocolate chip, but I definitely do uh, kind of dig in more when it's a new flavor. And my favorite one right now is uh, brownie beast. It's beast brownie mode beast. brownie, but we're renaming it to <laughs> brownie beast. And we made a little character. He's going to become one of our core flavors. So uh, he's adorable, this like fluffy brownie monster. And it's awesome. That sounds delicious. Um, it's amazing. It is like a brownie cookie dough with actual brownie chunks in it oh, and chocolate yes, chips. Mate. Oh, yes. And uh, we made it in partnership with another founder friend of mine, um, Regrained, Dan from Regrained. They do 
this like super high fiber and protein flour mixture from the spent grain from the brewing industry. So real full circle here. It's like an upcycled product. And so it's the world's first upcycled cookie dough. Inadvertently, it's not like we were trying to go out and do that, but a fun little partnership with him to use that flour in the brownie beast recipe. So it is kind of like a pump you up a little bit more fiber and protein than our normal cookie dough, but it's so good. And it makes the best cookies. It's like, they're just perfect little brownie cookies, brookies, (laughs) something like that. I think that's both a good and delicious way to end the podcast. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. Have a dope day. (laughs) (laughs) You too. There you go. Massive thank you to Kelsey for joining me. You can check her out at dope.com. That's D-O-U-G-H-P.com. And look out for episode five of this series coming next week. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Yotpo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform to increase customer engagement, promote community advocacy, and improve retention. If you want to learn more, go visit them at yotpo.com slash empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time.